Hi everyone, producer Corbs here. I just wanted to let you guys know about the new Rich Goulet series that we have on our Instagram and IGTV. This is a project that has been done with Doug Plum, who was the guest on episode 19, and his brother Colin Plum, not only to celebrate the life of Coach Goulet, but to get the Pit Meadows Gym renamed in his honor. Colin and Doug organized a bunch of Pit Meadows grads to come together and just talk about what Goulet meant to them, the funny memories, the lessons that he, you know, unconsciously taught them, and just kind of reflecting back on the things maybe behind the scenes that people don't know about Coach Goulet and just celebrating his impact on their lives. And this was organized in under less than 48 hours and that was amazing to get the kind of turnout we got so you know check out our instagram page we will be releasing it on this podcast feed when we're all said and done but just take a listen to the stories and to these kids and some of them grown men now and have their own families and just how much coach Goulet impacted their lives as of today today is april 16th we have the 2000 group led by Aaron Christensen and a couple other guys and we had the 2012 to 2018 grads kind of the last group of kids that had Goulet at Pitt Meadows before he was removed so please take a listen you can check it out at a hoops journey on Instagram it's also on our Facebook page there are lots of funny stories and heartwarming stories about coach Goulet's kindness and his I guess gruff demeanor on the court anyways thank you guys for listening and back to our episode welcome back everyone episode 51 and we are sitting down tonight with an absolute legend um not only in british columbia but in canada um a guy who I knew a lot about when I was a young kid and and learned his story and and I know he's got lots of great things to share. One of we did some research. We looked into the 75th anniversary book. I believe one of three people to be a two-time MVP at the uh AAA boys level. Um and uh, we are super thrilled to have no other than Lars Hansen with us tonight. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing good, you know. I'm tired and but just doing the best we can in these times and uh been chasing my little guy around for a couple weeks of spring break and trying to enjoy that so good but doing okay and and enjoying these nights where i get the chance to sit down and talk hoops with good people so thanks for asking um how's life treating you and what's the focus for you these days in life well i decided when this all started this pandemic started that i was going to get something out of it and um, this isolation i living i just moved up into anmore Okay. And uh, living is good up here. Yeah. You get chased around by cougars and bears and bobcats. And I've been hiking the trails around Bunsen Lake and Sassamat. I've been uh, spending time on the track at Heritage Woods. And uh, since the Coquitlam Center Fitness Gym uh, reopened, limited uh, access, I've been spending a lot of time in there lifting weights, so I hope to come out the other side of this pandemic in in relatively good shape. So that's all you can ask for, right? Yeah, love to hear it. 
I was going to say when you said cougars, I was just making sure it wasn't like uh, the cougars at the Roxy or anything like that. It was actually. <laughs> no, these are real cougars. <laughs> these are real cougars. As a matter of fact, disappointed to hear that the four cougars that were wandering around eating the deer and eating the dogs and uh, everything else they could get their hands on, they just put them down. Oh, uh, it's too bad. I, I, sorry, they're beautiful animals. And, um, you know, all these stupid people get eaten by cougars. So, <laughs> should get that on a t shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I agree. And, and the cool thing is listening to a bunch of either current or former athletes and their perspective on not allowing COVID to kind of beat them down and to be able to find ways to grow and learn and be better when you come out of it. Right. And, um, and that's a good perspective. Tell us about yourself. Tell the listeners from a, from a young age, you know, you have an interesting story, um, where you're born and raised and then coming over to Coquitlam and being, you know, coming to Centennial and, just interested to know when basketball sort of started to become part of your life. So Yeah, well, we immigrated to Canada in 56 from Denmark. A little side note, I'm the only Danish-born NBA champion basketball player to play in the NBA. Oh, play in the NBA. Play for a championship team. So right. that's a bit unique. Yeah, still to this point, just pretty crazy, hey? Yeah. With yeah, the international it, it, game and how it's changed. Like that's... Sure, yeah. and, and Danes are generally quite tall. Yeah. You know, got the... German influence and all that stuff and the Netherlands influence. But, um, hey, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, basically, I grew up in Coquitlam and and played all the sports. It it was just there's nothing else to do. And so I loved to play baseball. As a matter of fact, I was scouted by the uh, Texas Rangers as a young kid because I was 12 years old and six foot one and I could throw yeah I could pitch high so, up on the mound there hey yeah and yeah. and not only that but I developed a lot of leg strength because I did have a bike but it was a single speed bike and <laughs> anybody that lives in Coquitlam knows <laughs> you get hit a hill yeah <laughs> it's all hills yeah <laughs> so it was always easier to just burn my legs out pushing my bike pedaling my bike up the hill instead of pushing it up the hill and it was the ride home was always nice all downhill, going to Blue Mountain, Mackin Park, yes. places like that to play by baseball. Yes. And um, didn't really figure out anything about basketball until some years later. Mm. And uh, that had to do with the fact that my father, being an architect, had a very good friend who uh, had a psychiatry biz- practice in North Vancouver. He designed and built a house for him, but they ended up moving to Pasadena. And so for three years in a row at Christmas time, we did our Danish Christmas Eve thing and then drove all the way down to Pasadena, California. Mm. And so at that time, we had a black and white TV with three channels. (laughs) And uh, going to Pasadena for Christmas, there was 57 channels all in color and there was basketball on every one of them. So I was introduced to the Los Angeles Lakers back when uh, Wilt Chamberlain and Jerry West were dominating the game. The Los Angeles Stars of the NBA, UCLA Bruins, all of like USC, Stanford games were televised. 5A basketball, high school basketball games were televised. 
Uh, it was just, I, I just uh, started to realize that there was a real world outside of Coquitlam that had some really interesting stuff. And in particular, that uh, during that winter, I started watching the CBS Game of the Week on Sundays. And on one particular Sunday, I, I never missed. I never missed that game. Mm. Watching the Knicks and, and watching the Boston Celtics and all those great teams. But the commentator was standing there, and I could see the court, the parquet floor behind at Boston Gardens, <laughs> and JoJo White was shooting around. He was the only guy on the floor yeah. uh, just warming up. And uh, as the commentator spoke, I noticed that JoJo White was not missing. He was hitting every shot, every shot. And it got to the point after about five minutes, one, I didn't listen to what the guy wanted to say about uh, the game. I was just out of my mind because this guy wasn't missing. <laughs> he was hitting every shot. Mind you, they weren't, nobody was checking him or anything like that. But that was so new to me. Yeah. I was so excited about that. I'd go running upstairs and say to my father, Dad, he didn't miss. <laughs> Not knowing what I was talking about. He just said, well, that was nice. That's nice. So nice. <laughs> But anyways, that started a kind of a aha moment, a, a paradigm shift, so to speak, making me and making me realize that games like that and shooting, uh, the hoop doesn't move. It's always in the same place. It's always the same size. The ball's always the same size. And so I started to believe that that uh, I didn't, I wouldn't miss. Mm. That there would come a time if I practice enough that I wouldn't miss. And um, I've been involved in a number of, of games, one in high school where I went 31 for 34 from the field. Ooh. And um, over in Europe, it, when I was in Milan, we had a game where I went 9 for 12. Uh, uh, one of the Bozelli twins, mm. this was the year before D Mike D'Antoni showed up, mm. was 9 for 9. Brumati was 8 for 8. I mean, the coach, who is a character in himself because he was... His name was Felipe Faina, and he was a he was the direct descendant of Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh boy! Yeah, he comes <laughs> into the locker room after the game and says, "Hey, you guys didn't get any offensive rebounds. What's your problem?" <laughs> so, <laughs> We're shooting like eighty percent from the field, man. What you want from us? Or more. <laughs> yeah. It was just. It was. It, they talked about that game the whole year, and not mm -hmm. only that, but it was against a team from Bologna, mm. and we were um, fighting for first place. No way. So uh, we were both undefeated. Well, they went home with a loss, and it was a game of perfection. And then you have other games like seeing the Splash Brothers do, like Clay Thompson getting thirty-seven points in one quarter. Yeah, or Bill Walton going twenty-one for twenty-two in the finals against Florida State. Yeah, those are the dreams and and the things that basketball creates mm -hmm. in the mind and the imagination of young people and pros, for that matter. That's that magic moment when you hit that shot to win the game, or you don't miss the whole game. Or I saw Luka Doncic went eleven for eleven from the three points yeah. line. You know, I mean. Yeah, it's true. That's why basketball is so magic. It's so well said. I it never really thought of it like that and always wondered what drew me to the game. But when you say that and then you think of how the NBA and just pro basketball in general has grown over the over so many, you know, generations, like it's because 
all the younger people were looking at those people playing and trying to be them and then be better than them. And it is special and pretty neat. And that's cool that those hooks were in early. And you ever wonder what life maybe would have been like if you didn't make those road trips as a family? Like if you weren't exposed to that or has that ever not crossed your mind? No, it's never crossed my mind. Yeah, didn't need to. Uh, I, you know, I, as soon as I saw what was going on in California with, with basketball, I knew yeah, yeah. right there that I wanted a piece of this. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted a piece of this so bad. Yeah. And so, you know, so started the, the trek mm-hmm. and um, the journey. And so was Centennial just 11, 12 for high school? 2,100 students yeah. in grade 11 and 12. Yeah, like a small city. So where did you go to junior high? At Montgomery. You went to Monty. Okay, you're a Monty guy. Yeah. Spent a lot of time at Hickey Court. So I grew up like just off Mariner Way on Pilot Drive. So that's where I grew up and, you know, grew up in Coquitlam too. So I was just curious to know that. And um, what were those teams like? Was there a special coach or were you just kind of putting the work in yourself and and wanting to become a better basketball player um, before you made it to Centennial? Honestly, there were no basketball coaches back then. Yeah. <laughs> Gordy Betcher, our our high school coach, you know, nice guy and everything like that. But and he, I guess he played some college ball and things like that. But the game hadn't really arrived in the lower mainland. Mm-hmm. Yes, we had the tournament and we had Hooker Wright and all those guys that were special, Duke of Connaught and all of the yeah. all of those things. The, the main influence around here, which people um, don't seem to understand or realize, is Bob Hubricks. Mm. You probably don't know who Bob Hubricks is. I don't. Tell us more. But he's the, greatest, he's the greatest basketball player ever to be born in Vancouver. Okay. When he was ten, when he was about ten or eleven years old, his father was a professional hockey player. They moved to Seattle. Hubricks mm. became Hubricks averaged thirty eight points in high school, in college, in college, in college oh. at the University of Washington. What? He was the general manager of the Seattle SuperSonics back when I was in college. Wow! And we, him and I had a special relationship. Him being from Vancouver, and um, he was kind of like my husky supporter. He'd phone me, find out how I was doing. He'd talk to me after every game. He didn't miss a game, even during his busy schedule with the Sonics. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, there's so many things, so many stories. But he influenced the Catholic League and the St. Thomas More, Vancouver College, St. George's, all the Catholic schools. When I gr- finished college... Hubricks phones me up and he says, hey, I can't make it up to Vancouver next weekend. Can you pitch in and, and do the um, guest speaker at the St. Thomas Moore Collegiate <laughs> Banquet? That was my first speaking engagement. The impact and influence he had on basketball around here is huge. Interesting. And I've been trying to get him into the um, the BC Sports Hall of Fame. He's in the Canadian Basketball Hall of Fame. Okay. And um, I don't know what the problem is, but... Uh, I've got Howard writing letters, and I'm pushing, and we'll we'll see how it goes this year. Yeah. If it doesn't go this year, I might try to get somebody like Bill Russell and downtown Freddie Brown because he also hired Bill Russell as the head coach in, in Seattle. Really, he drafted Freddie Brown. He was basically started the role, started the push for the Sonics to become the NBA championships, and and you know, gee whiz, being in Seattle at the time and getting an opportunity to play. For that championship team, yeah, uh, it's special. Yeah, very special. Oh my goodness! I like 
Seattle, what a great city and so cool to hear, you know, someone who's kind of started from the ground up there and um, used to love the road trips and Sonic's just such an awesome sports city, great city. Um, and you've heard it here, BC Sports Hall of Fame, you know, if you will give him a tag on Instagram for this episode and uh, hopefully they're listening and, and we'll get get him in the Hall of Fame because he sounds like a special person. Oh, he was. And uh, he uh, somebody else had nominated him. But when I nominated him, I had the University of Washington involved. Mm-hmm. I also wrote a letter saying what an impact and influence he had on me and on basketball in Vancouver so, be, for a couple of reasons. First of all, Bob was also the Converse uh, shoe rep oh, in yeah. the Pacific Northwest. No way. So he spent all his time up here um, selling shoes to all the schools. So, and that was big too. Yeah. And uh, he knew, he knew Hooker, right? And he knew all of the, the, the famous guys. And we used to talk about Port Alberni. Mm. Port Alberni had a pro team. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, and, and I, he didn't play, but he sent players up to Port Alberni. When I was at the U14 or 13 years old, I got to go Barry Stewart. I don't know if you know that name, the old rest in peace, the old coach out in Abbotsford. We, we went up there and yeah. that's where the summer games were. And it was like this barn, but it, it was, had a lot of seating and it was awesome. The people were like men's and women's basketball was packed every game didn't matter didn't matter it was an island team or fraser valley or north pete like they loved it and it was awesome what a week it was so fun oh there are books to be written about uh, basketball in port Port alberni so uh like like prince rupert yeah the the native tournament yeah those things so so you know i mean the old i-5 corridor (laughs) from seattle to vancouver (laughs) and back and forth it was it was it was a two-lane road from Vancouver to Everett, when I started going oh to the UW, and it, <laughs> and it wasn't until um, it wasn't until I finished college that they made it uh, a four-lane road each way. No way. Yeah. And what were you rolling in? Do you remember what car you had? Uh, my first trip to Seattle was on the bus. Okay. Dad dropped me off at the uh, at the bus depot in Vancouver, and I took the bus down, and then I had a. F- Six-cylinder duster. Yes. <laughs> and then I got my senior year, I got a first year that the CJ7 Jeep with the legroom came out. Nice. And so I was rolling up and down the I-5 in, in that. So you didn't have to be like um, Hightower from Police Academy and rip, rip out the back seat, right? Or the front seat and drive from the back. Do you remember that? Come on, tell no, me. No, yeah, well, me. I did that in high school. I had a little Envoy, a little four-banger Envoy Epic. Yeah. Uh, when I turned 16, um, it was it was just this little... I can't even describe what, it. What else do they call it? Vauxhall? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was a Vauxhall. Yeah. But it, I, it that... My father, I couldn't drive it, so my father had it in the shop and had the seat moved back so the the the, the front driver's side was jammed right up against the back seat. That's, it was just this little two-door awesome. four-banger that uh, I got around to practice and games and stuff like Love that. It. Now, and we talked just before we hit record here, and I think a lot of people will know your story, right? Obviously, um, I, you made back-to-back finals in high school, correct? And and then winning the MVP yeah. both years. I I was giggling. Yeah. I, I was looking at your photos for the holding the trophy. You looked like um, it looked like from grade eleven to twelve, you went from uh, I don't know, you know, like 
a young boy to like a grown man the next year. I was like, well, this is like two different people I'm looking at. And um, how, how were those years? And it must have been pretty special to, to, you know, get on top and win a provincial championship. And I'm just also super interested in what is the recruiting process like, you know, um, in 1971 or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like, what is that like well, for let, you? Let me, let me start by Go saying this, that, that I, I was invited mm. uh, my summer of my junior year okay. to an all-star camp in Pullman, Washington. Yes. Uh, by uh, all of the big-name coaches from the West Coast. Judd Heathcote, who ended yes. up going to Montana, or sorry, went from Montana to Michigan State yep. and won a championship with Magic Johnson. He was there. Yep. And, um, of course, I have to drive down to Everett to catch the bus. Okay. And I gave myself lots of time, but the border that morning was really stupid. Yeah. And I missed the bus. No. I didn't make it. Sorry about that. That's okay. Is that the ringtone? Um, is, that, is that your music yeah. as your ringtone? I like that. What do you got there? I don't know. That would make me want to answer my phone every time. Yeah, well, the bottom line is this. The bottom line is this. is, is It's a smartphone, and it's much smarter than me. <laughs> I don't know. And, and, anyways, so I'm standing in the parking lot. My friend says, who drove down with me, uh, he's going to drive the car back. I'm standing there thinking, I just missed the biggest opportunity of my life. Right. I'm standing in this empty um, mall parking lot. And I'm thinking, what a dummy. I missed this big opportunity. And up drives a sedan, pulls up beside me, window rolls down, it's Marv Harshman. He'd waited. Him and Dorothy Harshman had waited for me. No way. And they drove me from Everett right across the state of Washington to Pullman, Washington. And so I just sat there with Marv and Dorothy, and we became lifelong friends right there. Mm hmm right across there. It wasn't a recruiting thing, no. but it was, uh, you know, an opportunity for me to uh, be introduced. I hadn't even gone to on a, on a, um, on a trip to any universities yet. Right. No recruiting trips. Oh, so you're just but, planning uh, to go to it like kind of an ID camp and see, show it was an what all, you can it do? Was a, it was all of the best, all, it was an invite. You paid, of course, but it was an invite from all of the best players in the Pacific Northwest. Right. And so, um, what can I say? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, that, that that started. But at the end of that week, I was the MVP of that I camp. I was going to say, they knew. Yeah. <laughs> I was the MVP of that camp. And when school started my, my senior year in high school, they dedicated one secretary to handle all mail all and phone letters. calls. Because I had over 200 scholarship offers. Yeah, yeah. Who is this kid from what Coquitlam? Yeah. Who um, who just beat out all the other best players in the Pacific Northwest? Mm -hmm. So interesting. You know, I, I, so the, the recruiting process, mm -hmm. I didn't like it. Yeah. As soon as I could sign with Washington, I signed with with the University of Washington and played for Marv Harshman. Best, smartest thing I ever did. Hmm. Plus, hey, living in Seattle at the UW, it's it, nothing's. There's nothing better than that. It's true. We had Todd McCullough on as well, and he loved his experience at Washington and, I mean, Pacific Northwest. Also for you, you know, comfortable, but like almost like an extension of Vancouver, but even better, you know, Seattle's such a great city. Yeah. And yeah, that's cool. So 
you're you're such a laid back sort of kind of humble guy. What was it? What was it inside of you? Was it was it being part of an immigrant family? Was you know I you you don't even call him your dad. You call him your father. Was your father who instilled hard work inside of you, or what was it that made you comfortable enough to hop on the bus or to attempt to hop on a bus and go all the way and do it and go for it and step out of your comfort zone at that young of an age? Um, was it your was it the drive inside of you to want to go to the next level, or if that question makes sense, like how? You know, you're just so casual talking about it, but like there's something inside of you that was just fiery and ha- wanted to just be better, right? And was it still those road trips and seeing everybody on TV or when, you know, when did it click for you? When was that real like desire and passion? It was an early age. I love sports. Yeah. I played baseball. I played basketball. I tried to play soccer. I played a year of football. Mm. Uh, you know, sports was just, was it, second nature and and just uh, it was just way too much fun not to do it and then <laughs> i had a taste of traveling already my going to california and also we'd been to europe as a family mm-hmm. and then when i was between grade nine and grade 10 i was also invited down to the knoxville tennessee to for to an all sports camp down there and that was paid for by the university of tennessee and there was a guy named Stu Aberdeen, yes. who was the assistant coach there. A cycle, mm-hmm. a complete cycle. <laughs> okay. But he'd heard about me. Uh, they flew me down there. And um, the second day there, I guess the NC2A heard that I was there from Canada. So Aberdeen, you know, pulls me aside and he says, here's a check and here's a social security number. If anybody asks, you're working here. <laughs> But for six weeks, mm-hmm. for six weeks, and this is from grade nine to grade 10, for six weeks, all I did was play basketball and do all of the other sports event things with all of these kids from the deep south, yep. from Tennessee. And um, uh, when I came back from just being able to jump and dunk to, to I mean, in grade 10, I could dunk, mm. even though you weren't allowed to. But it got to a point where my legs were so strong and I was so agile and had such good balance, I could almost get my elbow on the on the rim. Yeah, hey. So, and that was at an early age. Mm. So, you know, I I wanted to be the best in the world. Love it. And I figured the only way to do that would be to play in the Pac-8 at that time because that's where UCLA was. And UCLA with Bill Walton and I grew growing up with John Wooden winning all those championships. Yep. Uh, so that's that's where I had to be. I had to go and play against them. Oh, I love it. And uh, it, it, uh, a little story about that. Please. One day in the Sun newspaper, uh, a year. So I guess that would be when I was a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. There was a picture of Bill Walton going up to block a shot. I cut that picture out. I put it in my wallet. And if anybody asked me what I wanted to do, I'd pull that picture out and they say, I want to play against this guy. Best in the world. And that picture went with me all the way till we got, I got to college. Yeah. And then here we are, my freshman year. And my freshman year, they changed the rules so freshmen could play varsity ball. And there, was, there were eight of us, eight freshmen on that team. No way. And the first day of practice, coach had a meeting. He says, when are you going to make the varsity squad? And um, 
<laughs> that was an experience in itself because suddenly we went from being eight buddies to, to cutthroat. Everyday rivals. Everything was cutthroat. And we lived together. Oh, no way. In the same dorm cluster. Yeah. And so uh, to this day, I'll never forget when Coach Gillum, he saw me come into practice and he says, Lars, come with me. We went to the varsity locker room. He says, this is your locker right here. Mm-hmm. Gave me the combo combination for the lock. And then we went into the junior varsity locker room where all the JVs were wore, uh, getting suited up. And Co- Coach Gillum said, well, Lars is the guy that made the varsity squad. He'll be leaving you now. You can all say goodbye. But they all just mouths wide open, just big eyes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> there were some other fellas on that freshman team that ended up making the varsity squad that year. Right. But I was the first one to make it. Right. And to top that off, I we went to my first road trip was Christmas in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And um, when we came back, I played now against Honolulu. Um, some. Uh, we played in in Honolulu. Yep. We played in the Rainbow Classic. Yep. And um, so, Marv Harshman. So we get to the UCLA game in the league. Yeah. And the energy and the crowds around Heck Edmondson Pavilion for that game, I'd never experienced anything like that. Oh, I can imagine. So I figured, gee whiz, this is going to be great. I'm going to get a few minutes in this game here. This, this is going to be exciting. Yeah. So I get in the locker room. Marv Harshman's typically, his routine never changed for four years, mm. walking back and forth, wearing those squeaky brogues. <laughs> and um, then he'd write this name of the, the, the five starters on the, on the chalkboard. And he put my name down first. <laughs> Later on, he said, I didn't want to tell you a day or two in advance. It might just completely freak you out. So did you fall over? Or did you try to, did you look around and try to pretend like you're tough and like ready for it? Or what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the bottom line was after saying, I want to play against Bill Walton. Let's go. You know, right through high school. And this is the reason I want to play in the United States. And yeah. I want to play in the Pac-8 and all this stuff. My first start was against Bill Walton. Unreal. And can we just pause for one second and talk about, because I think maybe some younger generations, they, they see or like, you know, Bill Walton still announces games and, but like, can we talk about how good Bill Walton actually was at basketball? Like he was phenomenal, right? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. There, there is nothing like him. And he's the only ball player that I played against his size. He was an amazing jumper, mm-hmm. but he could jump and then move laterally after he jumped. Right. I'd never seen that. That's that's that was a strange concept to me. I could jump, but I was straight up and down. But he'd jump and then move. Right. <laughs> how he, to this day, I don't know how he did that. Yeah. Quickness, intelligence uh, on the court, and uh, speed. Mm-hmm. And you know there there was just so many so many features to his game that uh, made him very special. Yeah. And then on top of that. 21 for 22 in the championship game. Woo-hoo. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I guess, I believe the guy's name was Keenan, who had a long and um, illustrious NBA career as well. But he lit him up. Lit him. There's nothing he could do. Yeah. Anyway, so that's your first start. And you're like, here we go. And I started for four years at the University of Washington. Awesome. And how was that experience overall? Like just... You've touched on being Pacific Northwest, like just, 
you're playing D1 ball, competing with the best, like, must did you ever just sit back some days and think, this is awesome? Or were you just constantly trying to push and be better? Didn't have time to think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was scared to death the whole time playing against all these players. Right. You know, I mean, bottom line is you know, you're always comparing yourself to one game to the next mm. and how to get better. But I used to walk to every home game from where I lived on campus. And the only thing that I thought about thinking there's just way too much to think about <laughs> was one run as fast as you can up and down the floor at all times. Yeah. Because that's the one advantage I had because of my size. A lot of times I could put pressure on the opponent's big man by just running them. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would think is don't get beat on the boards. Don't get beat on the boards. Get your rebounds, box out, get the boards. Yep. Or else you're not playing. Yeah, anything else after that is gravy, right? Yep. yep. That's right. Yeah. The years at Washington, mm -hmm. the years at Washington – 16 and 10 for three years in a row. Mm. And then my senior year, we were 22 and four. Ooh. And that was the first time since 1956 that that uh, the Huskies went to the regionals. And on top of that, I was voted team captain, MVP, and the won the Harshman Husky Rebounding Award. So that, that was a big year. Yeah. There was just so many good ball players that you oh. know, gee whiz, you know, it was... James Edward. Like, come on, yeah, we talked about that offline too. J.E., yeah. yeah, like, yeah, Buddha, Buddha. That we called him. Yeah, that's his nickname, Buddha. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery, located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row. Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A hoop's journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's Streaky Jump Shot. We hope to see you Parkside. After a brief hiatus, Good Lad Clothing has returned, but under a new location, 3283 Main Street is where they can be found. Name drop a hoops journey to get 10% off any clothing items in store. The store no longer offers barber, but you can find the best retail around. Thanks to our sponsor, Good Lad Clothing, and we hope to see you there. I mean, what's practice like with that guy, whether you're competing against or with? You must have... The two of you looking side by side in games, you must have been like, "Let's do this." Oh yeah, the the bottom line is that we 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 dominated inside because we started James at center at uh, seven feet. I'm the power forward at six ten, and my senior year, Kim Stewart six eight. Ooh. He was a McDonald's All American. Yeah, and um, that was the front line, and then we had Clarence Ramsey, who to this day I'm inspired by the way he could shoot the ball. Mm. And then Chet the Jet Dorsey, who is a legend, the the point guard, any point guard worth his salt would have broken records, passing the ball to us and letting us score. Yeah. <laughs> because Clarence, Clarence was getting 23 a game. J.E. was getting 17, 18 points a game. And, you know, Kim was getting the double figures. And the only way I could keep up with all of that is to not miss. 
So <laughs> there were my junior and senior year, I was top five in the nation in field goal percentages and led the pack eight in field goal percentages. Wow. So, but that's like my senior year, I averaged 14 points a game, but I didn't, I, nobody can remember me shooting the ball. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we had so many shooters on that team. Yeah. But Chester, Chet the Jet loved to pass me the ball because he knew it was an assist. Right. There's a, so many factors that go in, into this. And, and I respect any Canadian that um, has some talent that sticks it out for four or five years in an in a, in American program because every year there's new guys coming in that are going to push you, that are going to try and take your job. That, and no matter how hard you work, some of these guys are just so naturally talented that um, there's really not much you can do. Yeah. Two points in, in particular, or two players in particular, one guy's name was Roosevelt Belcher. And he was a project. He couldn't play his freshman year, uh, which was my sophomore year, because of his academics. But I practiced against him. I couldn't stop him. <laughs> and he could stop me so easy. I, it was just one of those situations that I knew that, oh, no. As soon as he's eligible to play, yeah. I'm sitting on the bench. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately for the program, and, you know, Roosevelt was one of those guys. He had a heart condition, oh, and wow. he was playing in a black student union game in, in December in, in Seattle and just ran down the floor and dropped dead. No way. Yeah. And so we missed him because he was just, I don't know how to describe him. A cross between um, Kevin Durant and and uh, Charles Barkley. Kevin Durant's skill set, Charles Barkley's physicality, mm. and he was so polite. He'd whack the crap out of you and then say, "Sorry." <laughs> <laughs> the other guy was Larry Jackson. Mm. Larry Jackson was from Pasadena and went to uh, Evergreen Community College for two years and then came to play for the Huskies. Mm -hmm. And um, another phenomenal athlete, but dumb as a sack of hammers. <laughs> he was the next coming of Bob McAdoo. Oh, wow. You know, th those two guys, if they had kept their head up or had better health, I would have been sitting on the bench. Right. Kept you There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and so what was it about you as a senior being a captain what was your personality like as a leader were you were, were you vocal were you just a, a worker a bit of both were you about relationships like what what was it that the coaching staff or whoever decided that you, you were going to be the captain i always showed up i was always there i was always there for everybody else and and interestingly enough i got in this habit because we used to run a lot of lines in it after practice so what i would do is i never liked the fact that guys would wouldn't run as hard as they could. Mm. And so I'd always pick somebody and I'd stand beside him and say, I'm running against you today. <laughs> and there's only a, like Chester, I couldn't beat Chester, but and Chester was like, La, Laws, get out of here. Don't come run with me. Come on. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is I really felt that my, that, that my tenacity mm -hmm. and my determination mm -hmm. was going to win the day. Mm -hmm. We knew my junior year that, we're, that, that we were going to be special the next year. Uh, and that's a story in itself. But why I was captain, I just never missed practice. I was always there. I always stepped up. I always tried to do the little extra things. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it was clear that the Huskies thought that the year after in 77 that they'd continue winning. But Clarence, Ramsey, mm-hmm. graduated and I graduated. They didn't have the same type of year. Right. And, you know, you hand John Wooden his last loss and all that stuff. But We kicked his ass. Yeah, you did. 20, 20 plus. Well, the bottom line is that this is this is this goes Love to it. the the core of what keeps some guys from Canada in programs in the United States and what chases them off. Mm. My sophomore year, UCLA came to to Washington in January, and they beat us by fifty two points. Oof. It was the biggest ass whooping that the Huskies had ever gotten, and the papers got down on me yep. and the team, mm-hmm. and at the Husky Union building on campus at that time, there was an area where the Black Student Union and a lot of football players would hang. Okay. I had to walk by there every day if I had to get, I had to cut through there to get to class. Mm-hmm. Every day, they gave me a hard time. Really? Yeah. Every day, they'd say, oh, here comes laws. And so, you know, they'd have, have all sorts of things to say. And then the following year, and I put up with it. I said, okay. I, I accept my responsibility in this, in the loss. UCLA was coming to play us again in January, and the papers were saying how much of the Huskies going to lose by this year and how much of this, you know, and the black student union at the hub was just on me. <laughs> oh, oh, man. It was so tough, but, I, you know, I thought, you know, i got to put up with this because what else can I do? Mm-hmm. can't fight them. Mm-hmm. Beat the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. So they come to town. Early in the second half, we're up by over 30 points on him. Wow. And Larry Jackson, who I mentioned, yeah. was just lighting it up. He was player of the week in the, in the Pac-8 at that time. But we ended up winning by 22 points. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was, it was huge, huge. And then on Monday, <laughs> yep. I'm going to class. I got to cut through there. And then I hear this. Here comes Lars. Here comes Lars. And I thought, oh, geez, what are they going to say to me now? We won. And as I walked by, all of them stood up mm-hmm. at attention and said nothing as I walked by. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like I won the war. Yeah, yeah. I put up with all of their crap for all, the whole year. And then in the end, we turned it around. Yeah. And I tell this story to kids when we play lousy games. Is that you can turn it around. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the best team in the nation that year. And we, we just lit it up. And... Um, that was the start of us. Uh, we didn't go to the regionals that year, but there was a point in my senior year where in one poll we were ranked third, and the other poll we were ranked fifth. Mm. So uh, we had a, a, a very solid squad. And going through all those years, what does the pro process look like for you? Like, uh, you know, the NBA is in an interesting place at that time, and, you know, it, you end up going overseas as well. So, when you were at Washington, were you thinking like, I want to continue to move on with basketball here and, and try to, you know, get paid to play some hoops or? Yeah, about midway through my senior year, Marv Harshman called me into his office and he said, look, uh, it looks to me like you're going to be drafted either late second round or early third round. I ended up being thir- the 39th player picked, mm-hmm. which was the third round <laughs> with the Chicago Bulls. Mm-hmm. And um, if I had gone in this late in the second, it would have been the the um, Portland Trailblazers. I wish I had been that team because 
I would have been trying to back up somebody like Bill Walton. Uncle Bill. Yeah. Uncle Bill. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, I don't, and not only that, but I had been in contact with some agents who were saying, look, uh, you're not the same level as some of these guys that are coming out, but uh, but uh, it looks uh, your prospects are looking pretty good. And I figured at that time they were just trying to convince me to sign with them as an agent. Uh, so I had an agent. Mm-hmm. But um, the NBA at that time was in a very precarious situation. Yeah, uh, they were close to collapsing, mm-hmm. and it ended up that the ABA collapsed. Mm-hmm. And so the Chicago Bulls, after drafting me, you know, were phoning me every day and things like that. Wanted to know how I was doing, and uh, because I was getting ready to go play in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And um, then the ABA folded, and in the dispersal draft, Chicago got a guy named Artis Gilmore. Yep, decent uh, name. Well, so the <laughs> the phone stopped ringing. <laughs> <laughs> the phone stopped ringing, and then Jerry Krause, that just that marvelous guy, he says, "Well, he phoned me up and he says, oh, we're going to send you a contract." Mm-hmm. So they sent me a contract for minimum uh, for four years with a five hundred dollar increase each year. Mm. In other words, they didn't want me. Right, they couldn't be bothered, and uh, at least not now. Mm-hmm. So that's when um, and at the Olympics, a guy named Caesar Rubini. Who's in? <clears throat> he's in Springfield. Mm-hmm. He came to Montreal looking for a player. He really wanted to sign me, so they gave me twice as much money as the NBA was going to give me. Yeah, and uh, I was going to live in Milan, which I didn't mind having European roots, having traveled extensively with the national team through Europe. It was a big leap. Mm-hmm. Did you? And, did um, you ever get to know Gerald Kazanowski? I uh, Gerald, I know Gerald. Yeah. He kind of, we've had him in, he said kind of the same thing, right? He got drafted by the Jazz, but he was just like, you know, the NBA was not today's NBA, right? Like there wasn't that appeal of, oh my gosh, like I'm going to the NBA, right? It was like, I can go to Europe, hang out, travel, get a place paid for, make some good money, play really good basketball and be in Europe, right? Like that's, there's something to be said for that, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I was lucky enough, Olympia Milano. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, is a is a very it's a it's a very storied team. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was Cinzano that was the sponsor, but um, Mike D'Antoni. I played uh, with Mike D'Antoni my second year in 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 Milan, mm-hmm. and it, it just there was one. If I played for Chicago, I'd be seeing limited minutes, and I just didn't. One Jerry Krause, I knew yeah. back then the way he talked to me. That I, I was going to get along with this guy. He was he was a jackass. <laughs> and not only that, but when I did sign in Milan, he phoned me up and ripped me a new one. Really? So how the hell? What do, do you, we drafted you and you, you, you? What do you think? Who do you think you are? Not accepting? You know, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And so I ripped him one back and I says, "Look, Jerry, you expect me to live on the money you were going to give me? Mm-hmm. Whoa, well, <laughs> so, I, mm-hmm. so I started ripping him one. So it was a big yell fest. Yeah. <laughs> And, but, you know, gee whiz, a guy's got to do what a guy's got to do. Without and question. The following, year I was, the following year, I was drafted by the Lakers. And then the following year after that, I went to camp with the Chicago Bulls. They kind of decided that maybe I could play and that they're going to give me some money. 
Uh, I ended up getting cut with them, but picked up by the Seattle Supersonics. That was an NBA championship team in my hometown. I love it. So, you know, I mean, gee whiz. You know, you can't ask for better than that. Yeah. I went back to school at the University of Washington in 2014. I arrived on campus in January 2014. I'm not going to go into details but mm. on why I was there, but that was a special few months. Mm-hmm. Super Bowl and all the other special things. And I was a bit worried about how I would be viewed and accepted on campus considering I'm, I was 60 years old. Right. My first day, and one of the things you I had to do was I had to work in a school mm. as part of uh, this capstone program that I was in. Mm-hmm. And um, I could walk to that school from the University of Washington. It was about a half an hour walk, but I wanted to figure out where the bus, how the buses worked there. So if I had to on a rainy day or whatever, I could take a bus there. So I knew it was the number 63 bus. Mm-hmm. So I'm standing at this the, on campus, first day of school, in front of this this uh, group of students that are waiting for the bus. And I says, is this the Six, is this the direction I go on the number 63 bus that's going to take me over the shoreline, blah, blah, blah? Mm. I can't remember what the cross streets were. Yeah. Everybody just looked at me like, like what? <laughs> Except for this middle-aged guy carrying a briefcase, looked like a professor. And he says, you're in the wrong place. Follow me. So I follow him and he says, you look kind of familiar. Who are you? And I says, well, my name is Lars Hansen. And he stopped and says, Lars. What are you doing here? So I explained it to him. This fellow, who I only spoke to once, Mm -hmm. he says, you're going to need this. He reaches into his breast pocket and pulls out a wad of tickets. Okay. And he starts thumbing through him. He says, you'll need this ticket. You'll need this ticket. You'll need this ticket. He gives me all. And I hadn't even gone to talk to Lorenzo Romar about getting tickets to see games. Yeah. This guy gives me courtside seats in the Hayek section, which is, that's the special section you sit in when you got way too much dough because it costs you $5,000 just to get in on getting season tickets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy hands me all these tickets. You're going to need these. So <laughs> instead of sitting up with the nosebleeds, which I know Lorenzo would have given me tickets, but they would have been way up there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting down there with, you know, Fred Brown's around and some of the other, you know, elite celebs mm-hmm. are sitting in the in this section right across from the, the student section. Mm-hmm. Special things like that happen to me when I go to Seattle. That's cool. Yeah. Well, and you just like second home. You look at like look at that roster. It's like you got Freddie Brown and you got Dennis Johnson. Oh my God. Like Jack Sigma, Paul Silas, like holy smokes, just so cool, Lonnie Sheldon. Yeah, keep going. Some of these, some of these guys, I don't know. Keep yeah, yeah. Who are the special people? Wally Walker. Yeah, Wally Walker, Joe Hassett, mm-hmm. Gus, Gus Gus Williams. Williams. I'd put Gus Williams in any starting lineup nowadays. Okay, that guy was so smart and so smooth, and, and just and just tenacious. Oh, he was the dude. And, he was uh, like pretty bald up top, but had the beard, right? Yeah. Okay, I remember. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yep. Gus Williams, Gustafer. Unreal. And uh, a story about that. So I told you that I didn't miss a 
NBA Sunday game of the week on CBS. Right. I didn't miss them. Mm-hmm. Right through high school. I watched every one of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so I get signed to a 10-day contract with the Sonics. And that's a story in itself because I went to practice with them. I'm sitting there uh, at the University of Washington because I'm one of the assistant coaches mm-hmm. and a uh, student coach. Got all my books, thinking I'm going to sell these books and I'll have enough money. And I'll buy some Christmas presents and go home. And <laughs> phone rings. It's, just, it's Denny Houston from the Huskies. He says, Tom Lagarde blew his knee out last night in Philadelphia. The Sonics are back in town this morning and they're going to practice. They want you to come out and practice. So I got on there to practice. Just grab my stuff, went down there to practice. And um, went through all practice, didn't miss a shot. Did not miss a shot. And, you know, the guys weren't really, they just come home for a long road trip, pretty worn out. But playing as Jackson, he didn't miss a shot. So Lenny Wilkins comes up to me and he says, have you got an agent? I said, no, I don't right now. We'll get an agent. We're going to sign you to a 10-day contract. So I went back to to Marv Harshman. I says, I need an agent. <laughs> They're going to sign me. So they signed me to a 10-day contract. They followed that up with another 10-day contract, and then they signed me for the rest of the year. Unreal. So when they signed me for the rest of the year, we're playing on Sunday against Dr. J and Chocolate Thunder, Daryl oh. Dawkins. In Had to get out CBS of the way in the backboard swaying. The game delaying. If you ain't moving, you best get grooving. The hot stop of the rump <laughs> roast right. of the bun toast of the kick shake of the baby maker. There was baby crying, cats crying, glass crying, still flying. Chocolate thunders taking him under. <laughs> That's right. Love him. Woo. Yeah. So, so I'm and and we're playing and we're playing we're playing at at the Kingdom. Yeah. There's forty thousand plus people yeah. at this game. Oh, you're at the dome. We're at the Kingdom. Ooh. And um, so Lenny Wilkins comes in, and uh, he writes my name on the board and says, Lars, you're starting. <laughs> what? So, so once again, didn't give me any, you know, we're going to be yeah. playing Philadelphia on Sunday. We want you to, you know, we're, you're starting, you know, knowing that I'd have way too much time to think about this. Yeah. And this was, I, had, I was four or five games into this. Oh, my god. And I'm starting. So we're standing in the tunnel, ready to come out mm-hmm. to warm up. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jack Sigma turns around to me and says, whatever you do, don't try and block Daryl Dawkins' shot when he's close to the basket. He'll rip your arm off. <laughs> oh, I believed him. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, like Dr. J had a great game. We lost. And um, I go up for the at the start of the game to jump ball against uh, Daryl Dawkins. And he's got these purple suede sneakers on. And he's not interested in the game. He's just, man, look at these sneakers. These are the coolest sneakers I've ever had in my life. Oh, man, look at these sneakers. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, God. Uh, yeah, you look at your sneakers. so good i absolutely love it and then okay so the sonics and everything but like let's not put aside how you go overseas and are a top scorer in the spanish league and have a great kind of career over there and and have a lot of fun let's talk about that a little bit too i mean sure yeah that's super cool stuff um 
you're doing it before. I'm the first Canadian to go over. Yeah, there. I was gonna. Are you to, to, to yeah. do all this stuff? Like, cause, not, not necessarily the first Canadian, right. but uh, there was some Canadian, like Phil Tallstrup had gone over to play in um, Victoria, mm-hmm. in the in the Basque region of Spain. Okay. I think Billy Robinson played in Belgium. Oh, Billy. Yeah. But I, I mm-hmm. but to play for Olympia Milano, Oof. who is a top ranked team in in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, there hadn't been any Canadians doing that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but I started off in Milan and uh, that was, you know, I mean, gee whiz, that's like the New York City of, of Europe, mm-hmm. fashion and entertainment. And, and one of the nice, there were nice these looking people, twins, there were twins on the team, <laughs> Dino and Franco Bozzelli. Oh, I love it. I love the names. And, so good. and the, um, it was Dino. One of the Versace daughters fell in love with Dino. Come on. So every week there were tailors in our locker room measuring us up for all sorts of suits and cashmere sweaters and bomber jackets and all this stuff. And at that time, everybody said, oh, come on, hurry up and get this over with. I want to go home. Come on, come on, come on. You know, like, Holy mackerel, now did she whiz? So we were the best-dressed team in, in, in the Italian league, <laughs> without a doubt. And I think Armani is Armani owns Olympia Milano now. Really? Yeah. So it's it's run by a fashion. Producer Corbin here. Fun fact: This is true. Olympia Milano, also known as AX Armani Exchange Olympia Milan. The more you know. Back to the show. So what happened, like with the Sonics, the you know, and then deciding to go back? Was it just they didn't want to resign you, or you didn't want the money that? They offered or uh, well, they 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 um, that that championship team. I didn't play in the playoffs. Mm. Uh, they a guy named Rick Roby uh, signed with the Boston Celtics, and that Bob Dennis Autry mm-hmm. off of the, the the Boston Celtics and this Lenny Wilkins, and I I heard that that Roby went to Boston and that Autry was being cut. And I thought, well, he's going to come to Seattle. Mm. And that was a, that was a wise move because Dennis Autry was a big, tough, tough guy. Mm-hmm. And he, he was a really deciding factor in the playoffs against uh, the Lakers oh, okay. in controlling and moving Kareem Abdul-Jabbar around. Mm. It's a tough task in itself. Yeah. So Did you ever get a chance? That, that was the Jabbar? end. That was, no. Uh, no, I didn't play against. Mm. Um, I my first game with the Sonics was against the, the the Lakers, and I got two minutes at the end of the game. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, no, I didn't play against Jabbar. Mm. But um, you know, I mean, I was just offered a, a really good situation mm-hmm. to go back to Europe, to Rome, Italy. Oof. As a matter of fact, Lazio, Roma. Right. And the, all of these squads, like in Milan, we used to go to all the Inter Milano and, and it was Inter. And gee, I was, I'm blocking right now. I can't remember what the other t- team that played at San Siro. Going to those soccer oh. games. It was like when I played for FC Barcelona, we used to go mm-hmm. watch the, the watch Maradona and Schuster oh. and the rest of those guys play soccer. Like a different just, world, right? Oh, I'd come back here and say, gee whiz, you should see these guys. And they says, well, we got the white caps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, all right. Yeah, I'll give them their, 
I'll give them their kudos, but <laughs> holy mackerel, when you've got a hundred thousand people yeah. in a stadium, when there's just a nice kick and they all go hi, yeah. and the whole stadium shakes. Yeah, yeah, that's a different level. <laughs> Is there like, and um... I, you know, honestly, I don't regret. You know, no. like, why would I th- you? I think honestly, if I were playing now, mm. I probably would have got a better chance of playing than back then. For example, when I, I when the Kings were in Kansas City, I went to their training camp and Cotton Fitzsimmons was the coach. Yes. And I was lighting it up from the outside and he says, oh, this is great. The, only, the last thing I need is another big guy who could shoot the ball from the outside. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and so, and that's what the game is now. Fast forward to now, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But back then, you know, it was still the inside-out game. Yeah, of course. Ball would, ball was always dropped into the into the low post, mm-hmm. you know. And then, yeah, I was in that. I almost I was the last cut in that team, that Kansas City team, because mm. Tommy Burleson was injured. But I played against Moses Malone, and he just lit me up. He ate my lunch. He's that good. It's the only time yeah. in my life I ever had the ball stolen from me. He's he's behind me. Mm-hmm. And I've got the ball, and I'm bumping him and backing him up. He came around and took the ball away from me. <laughs> How he did it, I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, so. Uh, and then he went down and but, missed a know, shot he, three times and got three boards and then put it back in. <sighs> and, uh, Moses Malone was an amazing athlete. Just, and he's, not, he's one of the first guys that came right out of high school to play. Um, before we kind of keep moving forward, so appreciative of your time. Is there like a a couple of European stories or one that's just so fun or was there a game or something? I always, this is just a selfish question. Just thinking about the places that you've been and played. Like, is there a epic game that you were like, Whoa, that was awesome. Well, there were, there were a couple really. Yeah. When I was in, when I was in Spain, just for the record, I love this stuff. So you, you, yeah. you know, whenever you're ready to just pack it in, let us know. But I, this is amazing. So keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, my first year in, in Spain, I played in a town called Ferrol in Galicia, up in northwest Spain. As a matter of fact, Brianne Watson ah, played there. Yeah, okay. It was a first year, first division team, small town. Mm-hmm. They built one big oil tanker each year. That uh, And they, the town was situated at the end of a long fjord. It had a couple of claims to face. First of all, Franco, the fascist leader, was born and raised there. And secondly, the Spanish Armada left port from Ferrol to sail up to England to crash on the rocks in Scotland. Wow. This is a basketball, kind of a basketball-related story. Mm -hmm. So when I arrived in Ferrol, I always get the International Herald Tribune one day late. Mm Mm-hmm. Because to get to Ferrol, it has to arrive in Madrid and then be shipped out. So I, I read the paper that the Greenpeace, Rainbow Warrior, had been protesting the Spanish whaling fleet in the Atlantic, had been hauled into port in Ferrol by the Spanish Navy. And I didn't think anything of it until mm-hmm. it was a Sunday, there was no practice. But instead, what we were doing is we're going to have this swimming competition. <laughs> and it was the weirdest thing because they just got us all, the, all these different people. 
at all these different levels of swimming proficiency in this big boat and then at a certain distance say, okay, all of you first novices jump in the ocean and swim to shore. <laughs> Never thinking maybe there should be some life jackets or something and the water's really cold. And, but as we're, as we're sailing out into the fjord uh, right across from the naval base in El Farol, I see the Rainbow Warrior. The boat, the, sh the ship is sitting there at dock. Wow. I thought, oh, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. You know, a Canadian ship like that. And uh, the, the last stop, the last group, because I used to be a competitive swimmer as well. You didn't know that. No, did not. Um, but um, that's for another story another time. It's always the tall, but, long um, guys, too. You got that length. You can just chop the pool in half, right? Just... Yeah, I just started because they said, hey, you can go swimming for free. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> up at Blue Mountain. There used to be a swimming pool up at Blue Mountain Park. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, so it's my time to jump in the water and I, I, I swim to shore and came in third, my group or whatever. And um, I did a lot of backstroking and just floating around in the water and still came in third. But I guess the Rainbow Warrior that night, they'd, they'd taken an important part out of the engine so they couldn't get away but mm. the crew had jibbied something and figured something out that they could replace this part on the engine so they could run the engine and then they figured out um when the the civil guard who were watching over them would take their break mm -hmm. and as soon as the midnight shift took their break they hightailed it out of there and so that created a big kerfuffle in spain because the famous Spanish Navy, especially at their most important naval base, had let this little boat, you couldn't even call it a ship, um, get away from them. And they couldn't chase them down and shoot at them or anything like this. That would have been a political issue. But there were residuals from that. First of all, the naval base was on high alert the whole time I was there. And secondly, I got 10 times more respect in that town because, like the Rainbow Warrior, I was also Canadian. But the bottom, bottom line was that year was special simply because the Real Madrid came to play us, mm -hmm. and they were European champions. And I have a picture of it. That's another team we beat by more than 20 points. Mm. And that had Rulian and Romay and Ituriaga and, and all of the national team players. And um, so... Winning that game was was kind of special, one, for the history of basketball in Ferrol, but it was also a Sunday game that got press right across Europe. How could this team from nowhere that had no reputation at all yeah. take down the European champions? Right. Who would beat a Partizan Yugoslavia? Who would beat all the Italians? Had beat the Russians? Mm. They were European champions. So um, that was that was a special time. And not only that, but after that game, they decided that I was going to be the mayor of <laughs> that town. <laughs> I've heard that's how it goes. Hey, overseas, it's like when it's going well, it's going really well. When it's not going so well, you maybe just stay in your apartment for a couple of days. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Are you ready for some kind of goofy, fun questions before we let you go? Sure. Okay.
first one. Love to hear this one because you've been around. You've seen a lot of basketball. You've played against some of the greatest players of all time. You've named some of the greatest players of all time. Who, in your mind, is the greatest basketball player of all time? The guy that changed the game the most and for the better, Will Chamberlain. Ah, tell us more. Well, I just saw or on, on, on YouTube this discussion mm-hmm. where Will Chamberlain was talking to Michael Jordan okay. about the GOAT. Mm-hmm. And Chamberlain made the point that when he played, even though there were less teams and maybe less talent at that time, mm-hmm. the league changed the rules to make it harder for Chamberlain to succeed. Right. But he succeeded anyways. Okay. Secondly, mm-hmm. he got criticized for scoring too much. So the next year he came out and led the league in Shift. assists. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't think anybody changed the game more than Will Chamberlain. Yes, there are some fantastic athletes out there now, but nobody. And not only that, but Chamberlain could have played in the NBA when he's 50. Right. He was just a phenomenal athlete. Yeah. Like a legit, the, the, the term freak comes up often. He was a freak, hey? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and, and a very sharp character. Yeah. Uh, great personality. Uh, can't really say anything bad about him. You know, he liked his girls. <laughs> <laughs> he let us know, <laughs> yeah. Some amazing stories about that guy. <laughs> but, um, Love. I, I, yeah, like I always say, you know, like I'm no different than Will Chamberlain. You know, I've been with 10,000 women too, except for I was alone 99.9% of the time. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I love it. Okay. That's a COVID joke. I will take it. We'll take anything we can get. I feel like this will be a good answer because you're not just going to have one. Okay. So dead or alive, name a couple concerts, your front row or your backstage. You've got the best, you got the best audio and visual. Who, who are you going to see music wise? Okay. Bob Seger. Okay. And this is this is a really this is gonna freak you out a little bit, but uh, when it, between my junior and senior year in high school, I went to a Led Zeppelin concert. No way! You got to see Led Zeppelin. Why? Oh, but oh yeah, I I saw them. That was the fourth time I saw no. them my senior year in college as well. But no. wow, I that 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 was. Um, he said this is gonna freak you out. To a be bit. honest with you, I'm revealing something here, but. Kid. Whole bunch of my buddies and I, we drank vodka, yeah. thinking that would really get us ready for the concert. Yeah. And somebody said, "Hey, take these pills." Oh boy. Yes. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm surprised I survived the night. Did it ruin the experience. I don't remember any. I don't remember any of the concert. <sighs> Some years later, I ran into this guy, and he says, "You're the guy at the Led Zeppelin concert." Me and my buddy sat on you because you were just right out of your mind. <laughs> so the stupid things you do as a kid, you know. But I love so, it. So, you know, I mean and honestly, I I woke up outside of Pacific Coliseum mm-hmm. at like two o'clock in the morning. I don't know how I got out of there. I don't know why they didn't take me into one of those places where people that are having problems 
I just woke up, I had bruises all over me, shirt ripped the whole nine yards, and then I just started wandering around Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> I got home about four in the morning, my mother was just, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But that's uh, some of the stupid things you do when you're a kid, right? Of course, yep. yep. Yeah, all your boys get together, yeah, I can drink that, yeah, I can swallow that, yeah, before you know it. <laughs> Nowadays, it's even more important that you watch out what you're doing because of all this fentanyl. And oh, yeah, you don't even know what's in there, for sure. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm lucky I survived that one. You'd go back and do Led Zeppelin all over again. I mean, why wouldn't you, man? Oh, okay. oh yeah. That's, Unreal. It, it, what a mu- musical influence and, oh. it, the, the, those guys are. And even, she was, you know, tragedy that John Bonham died mm-hmm. from a alcohol overdose or whatever, but... Imagine if those guys like the Rolling Stones are still around, they'd still be producing some of the most innovative and creative music there is. Absolutely. Love it. What do you think about ketchup on macaroni? Well, you know, gee whiz. (laughs) If there's enough cheese on it, I think it's going to take some of the sweetness out of the ketchup. Mm. So, you know, in a pinch, Mm -hmm. I can do it. But what if you're not in a pinch? Well, I'm gonna give it to somebody who likes macaroni. <laughs> you gotta remember, I lived, I lived, I lived in Rome and Milan for a total of three years. And the ate best some of the pasta around. Pasta. Oh. Yeah. Si mangia molto bene in Italia. There you go. Kazanowski Corbs. He said the same thing. He's like, I've had some of the best pasta I possibly could. So, oh, yeah. what am I gonna do, right? Yeah. Who and man, this might be a tough one, but. In your mind, who is or are some of the greatest players you've played against? Just maybe a few of them that you're just like, wow. Well, that would be Drazen Petrovic. You played Julia against Julia Serving, Dr. J. Okay, can we stop for a sec? You played against Drazen. Oh. Kicked his ass. <laughs> he played for Partizan. We beat him by 17 points at our place in Barcelona. Oh. Alexander Beloff. Wow. And Sergi Beloff, who... Sergey Bailoff, I never saw him miss a mid-range shot. The brothers, you've named a lot of brother combos here. Like, there's a lot of no, no. Sergey Bailoff and Alexander Bailoff, um, they weren't related. Okay, but first of all, they were NBA ready. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they lived in the communist bloc Russia. Right. So they weren't going to be playing. But phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. Mm. Unreal. Uh, Arvita Sibonis. I played against him when he was 19 years old. Oh, my. And to this day, I'd never seen anybody play like that at 19. He was just, uh, and that was a year after I decided to quit. Mm. My agent phoned me up and said, look, what are you doing at Christmas time? And I said, well, I don't really have any plans. My fiance at the time was going over to England because her father had been diagnosed with cancer. And he says, well, this might work, but how about an all-expenses-paid trip to play in the Christmas tournament, Il Torneo de Navidad, in Madrid? Mm-hmm. There's a Richie Kaner had a team traveling around, and he was trying to place players on teams. So I went over there, and I wasn't really in that much shape, and I didn't play that much, but I played against Sibonis. And holy mackerel, that guy was big and strong and fast. He good, eh? Oh, Just, not only that, but Tachinkov was playing on that team. Yeah. It was a Russian national team. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
So they sent the old picket fence. Oh, boy. Sergei Bailoff would run between them, and the defender would suddenly run into Tachinkov and Sibonis. So the guy would be able to turn around, catch the ball, you know, wipe his hands off, adjust his hair, and then shoot the ball. He had so much time. <laughs> Don't get caught watching the paint dry. Yeah. <laughs> well, the bottom. Yeah. So those guys. Right. Over in Europe, Medellin. Mm. Another guy that could have played in the NBA easily. Mm-hmm. And then G. Wiz, the, the limited the players I played against in, in the Pac-8 were some pretty tough ball players. Of course. Uh, when I played the national team, we played against the Americans. Um, David Thompson, um, Ernie DiGregario, Marvin Barnes, Ooh. who was, oh boy, was he mean. <laughs> he was just one mean dude. Love and um, those would be the players. And But, you know, I played against Pete Maravich, Pistol Pete. Oh, my goodness. When he was at New Orleans Jazz. And uh, as a matter of fact, I got a picture of me dunking on, on, on their center. He tried to come around and pick the ball as I was receiving it. Mm-hmm. So I spun on him and got a good jam. That is awesome. Oh, wow. Love it. Just a few more. Is there something you've read recently, a book that stood out to you, or is there a quote or a couple quotes that you kind of follow or live by, something along those lines? I watch a lot of YouTube. For what? There was one that I just had me rolling on the floor the Mm. other day, and that was funny moments in Married with Children. Where where Pig Bundy walks in and he says, did you miss me? And Al says, with every bullet so far. (laughs) Love and, and so I think love and marriage, love and marriage go together like <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you know, the Republican Party has been watching way too much married with children, way too much married with children. You obviously you've mentioned you're working out, trying to stay in best shape that you can, but on those days you break down a little bit, you get a little snacky. What bag of chips are you grabbing? What's your favorite bag of chips? Oh, I one right here. <laughs> yes. Unsalted Capaza. Tortilla chips. Organic. You're on the or- Unsalted. On the organic. Hey, as healthy as you can get. Good for you. Well, yeah, I got to supplement that with my creamy chocolate ice cream by Brayers. Hey, I should be, I should be, hey, wait a second. They should be sending me some of this stuff. I'm doing some pitching for Yeah, yeah, we'll tag them. them. Don't worry. But real, but real ice cream. None of this fake stuff. It's got to be the real creamery stuff. You like your ice cream, hey? Well, I like chocolate ice cream. Yeah. I, you know, I'm rationalizing by saying that <laughs> being 66 years old, that chocolate is good for my Arteries soul. in my heart. It's good for your soul. Keep, keeps, yeah, oh yeah, that's comfort food. Yeah. Who have been the most important person or people in your life? Marv Harshman. Mm-hmm. And there's just so many reasons why. Yep. Anybody that knows Marv Harshman or met Har- Marv Harshman walked away thinking that Marv Harshman was their their best friend. Really? And I know if, that you, special, if, you talk hey? to Paul e- if you talk to Paul Eberhardt, yep. he had a moment to to experience and still and considers Marv Harshman at that level. I'll let you know too. You and Ebes are the only ones who have said Chamberlain's the goat. And given like Ebe had a, he had like a ten minute script about why. So 
Yeah. I'm going to ask you about and, that. Uh, I will text him after this recording because I want to know more. Other important influences in my life. It got to be, and you can find this guy online. I grew up with him. He's an artist named Kim Perrier. Okay. Spelt like the water. Okay. And it's Perrier Studios, and he's in Western Australia now. Mm-hmm. A phenomenal artist, phenomenal friend, and a inspiration to this day. And I've known him since I was 15 years old. Really? And he's, not only is he uh, an amazing artist, <clears throat> but he's innovative. He's coming up with new methods and techniques. He's got a process now called Carbon Nature, which delves into all of the blessings that carbon has and will give us in our lifetime. And he's done it in the form of uh, human figures, mm. figurines. They had a horrible forest fire down in Western Australia. And he's turned that into a plus by going out and collecting all this ash and turning them into these amazing sculptures. Wow. And uh, he's just, and it's, uh, and it's an ongoing process. He's, he, he, he's brilliant. Mm. And as an artist, I'm always looking for inspiration and I don't have to go any further mm -hmm. than Kim Perrier. And before I last ask you the last question, talk a little bit about your little passions that you've got going right now. It's kind of cool. Things that keep you going and thriving. I think it's kind of fun to hear about the success that you've had as a basketball player, but what you're finding to entertain yourself and keep you just moving forward. Talk about those things a little bit. Well, I, I come from a very artistic family. Mm. Both my father and my sisters are Canadian Federation artists mm -hmm. in the painting medium, whereas I'm a writer. And uh, that's why I mentioned lasagna. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like lasagna, but with an R, lasagna. Yeah, I couldn't get that link and, uh, open. Uh, I wanted to check I, it out. We'll have to make sure that I get yeah, that. Yeah, well, yeah. I suspect that I have an IT guy that's reformulating it because I'm bringing music online with it, too. Oh, okay. Uh, during this pandemic time, um, I've always been able to write. <laughs> My second year in, in Milan, I took music guitar lessons at the Royal Conservatory in Milan and uh, have kept up with it all these years and written country tunes. Uh, there's one on the Larzania blog that's a crooner song, written a song that I wrote with a guy named Doug Clarkson, a local musician. Okay. And um, it's, it's almost what you would say, almost without flaws. Mm. So... Um, you, when you get to it, and I think it's because the IT guy is is reformatting and rearranging everything mm. on the website to accommodate audio and video, as well as as all my writing, scholarly, creative poems, songs, short stories, quotes, and that stepped up during the pandemic. I've stepped that up. Yeah, it's good. We'll have to make sure we get a live link so we can. Um tag that when the episode comes out because that'd be cool for i want to see it and, and for our for our listeners as well awesome lars last question though if you could do it all again you would what be born seven foot two in black <laughs> <laughs> he's not saying another word we're out that's it episode 50 well no. yeah what else can i say yeah <laughs>
You know, I mean, she was, you know, six foot ten, and well, I think I would have made a hell of an impression at seven foot two and black around here, huh? Yeah, hey, you would have, especially back in the early seventies. Oh yeah, rocking around Coquitlam. Who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Man, you are a legend. We totally appreciate this. Any last reflections or comments before we uh, uh, close out this episode? No, that's that's about it. Um, I know you guys are enjoying doing this, and and uh, you're doing a good job of it. Yeah, uh, I'm glad in so many ways that you're bringing the talent and some of the personalities to the forefront mm-hmm. and helping people to realize that this isn't just a little village of Vancouver. That there have been some moments for the basketball community. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully some inspiration past the pandemic where we'll be able to get back to normal and and produce some more great moments. Love that reflection. You're absolutely correct, sir. I was brought up through a basketball family and want to keep this going. And and I think people like yourself and hearing what you have to say, it's one thing to look into a program and see a picture. It's another thing to hear a voice and and a story and i think that connects people even more and and um we do appreciate you sitting down um absolute legend you're a great dude and i look forward to the next time that i get to shake your hand and say hi and say thank you so episode 51 so good thank you for being with us mr hansen okay thank you very much like and subscribe thank you to our listeners and our sponsors we will see you on the next episode